Welcome everybody to 25 Years Later, The Obsessions Podcast. Traveling back to the past, reliving pop culture from 25 years ago. Be sure to visit 25yearslatersite.com for more in-depth articles on your favorite obsessions. I'm your host, Connor O'Donnell. And on this episode, I am joined by one of my favorite Irish cohorts from our wrestling podcast, WCW versus NWO podcast. Fergus Looney, I'm looking forward to discussing other things than wrestling this time around. Yeah, it's it's nice to not have to be kind of semi-ashamed of the kind of things we're looking at for, for a change. <laughs> Seriously, and like, you know, we never get to really talk about movies and music, so I'm actually really looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Also joining us, it's the founder and editor-in-chief. We have Andrew Grievous. Thanks for joining us for the inaugural episode, Andrew. Hey, th- thank you for having me, Connor. I'm really excited to be able to be here. Yeah, same. And before we get, like, I want to, I want you to share with the, the listeners a little brief history of why you started the website and why the name Twenty Five Years Later. The name Twenty Five Years Later was an homage to Twin Peaks returning after being off the air for twenty five years. Um, the first six to nine months of the site was solely dedicated to Twin Peaks before we really started to branch out into television, film, video games, and music with the idea being that we would not just look at things that were new, but also kind of revisit all of the things that we still love that are still worth diving into. And not just nostalgia for nostalgia's sake, but really taking a look at why these things stand the test of time. Yeah, that and that's pretty much the point of this podcast. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about a lot of just awesome media. There's, there's a lot of stuff from this time period that I'm very fond of, but a, a lot of just stuff that just really holds up really well. And uh, Andrew, I'm, I'm going to have to come clean. I've never seen Twin Peaks. No, oh. it, it's quite okay. <laughs> um, the first year that, or so into the site, had you would have said that, it would have been an audible gasp. But No, we, no, no. We, it's So here's the, here's the thing. Like I've, I've started watching it maybe, uh, I don't know, like three times. I've gotten through like three or four episodes each time. It's not that I didn't like it. It's just, it's just like, eh, I'll just like start watching something else. So I, it's it's a crime because I, I do like David Lynch's stuff. I've watched a lot of his movies and things like that. So my, I know my brother is still mad at me for not watching the show. So I will get around <laughs> to it. Maybe I'll turn it into an article series or something like that. So it's a hard sell to get into. It's a it's a very different pace to TV these days for sure. That, that's any David Lynch joint. Yeah. I mean, it's I have to be in the mood for it. It, it's definitely different, you know, especially when you look back at the original series now, and it, you can definitely trace a lineage to what we call peak TV today. But at the time, it was just so different. And Damn. the pacing and it, it, it is different. You know, it's hard to start from scratch today. If you hadn't seen the show some years ago, it, it's tough to get into. Well, hopefully I'll get to watch it sooner rather than later. I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of questions for you guys. All right, gents, let's get the show rolling by starting with taking a look at what is topping the charts from February 1995. TLC's Creep tops the Billboard charts. Seinfeld airs its 100th episode with a boring clip show. And the Brady Bunch movie wins a week month at the box office, grossing over $46 million. And you know it's the 90s when the group has a hit song called Creep. I think we first had Stone Temple Pilots. Radiohead and then TLC. Gotta be honest, I've never heard this song until recently. Obviously, later on, uh, Waterfalls helped skyrocket that that group quite further. It's strange that there were so many popular tracks called Creep in the 90s. I had never made that realization until you just pointed that out. Yeah. 
they're good 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 tunes as well they're all I've, good I've songs played. yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if we have to have the power rankings of creep it'd probably be radiohead stone temple pilots and then then tlc i'm guessing but uh yeah i've, I've played both the radiohead song and stone temple pilots and cover bands so i'm quite familiar with both yeah. tunes they're fantastic it's interesting coming from my perspective this is gonna be very different for you guys because stuff like this wouldn't necessarily always release at the same time so I do wonder if this, I, it definitely came out in 1995, but I don't, I don't really remember hearing it at the time for sure. Well, that, that was a good thing about the nineties, certain songs, you know, they would do their first hit. Uh, and then the second single, like uh, I mentioned waterfalls, I think waterfalls came up maybe either later in the year or maybe even next year. <sighs> yeah. It was kind of the cool part about the music industry, uh, an album, you take time to digest it. Now it's just like, if you don't get a hit in like the first like 10 days, yep. You're done. You're done. Forget it. Yeah. So this month, we also have debut albums from Blink-182 and Jewel. And you can see just how different their careers start off. Jewel obviously hits it big right off the bat, but it takes some time for even that first debut album to really, really hit. That's real blast from the past. I don't... When's the last time Jewel released something? Oh, she's been releasing stuff like a while, but I just know it's not mainstream stuff yeah, like yeah. just this first album. Like the, I only knew the first album... Obviously, the the music video that was overplayed a ton on on MTV, and it does not hold up. I I, I took took a look at back at it, and I'm, I'm sure it didn't help that it's it's a cheaper, low budget, losing my religion type video. Yeah, and she rec- re recorded the song too, and they definitely shined it up real nice. the The album version is very bare bones, which is much more fitting with kind of the style uh, that she sang and. Um, she actually, I didn't give her enough credit because, you know, when I was a young kid, it was like, ew, female singer, ew. So, <laughs> <laughs> looking, looking back at it, I wish I had a, a better sense of uh, music taste to uh, appreciate her musical talent. I'd say without MTV, we, I would never have heard of her because she would have had very little presence over in Europe to begin with anyway. Oddly enough, she had some presence on like alternative radio too. I mean, this was a very weird era. You have things like Prodigy and Underworld, but you also have like Offspring and 311 on the radio. So it was a very weird time. So I mentioned before the Brady Bunch movie topped the box office in a typical mediocre February month, but we got plenty of films to highlight. It was actually a very seminal month in cinema. So let's take a look at the films from February 1995. Time for a cup of joe and a donut. Twin Peaks will be right back. Thank you for listening to 25yearslatersite.com. For more exclusive audio, head on over to patreon.com slash 25YL. The $3 tier will get you access to our library of audio articles, plus two new audio articles released every week exclusive to subscribers. All right, we're back from break, and I want to welcome Mr. Dave Murphy. He's the other third of the WCW versus NWO podcast. So, Dave, thanks for joining us, taking Andrew's place here. Thanks so much for having me on. Nothing I like more than getting nostalgic about old movies. So in our main topic here, we are talking about a very seminal month of movies here because it's there's, there's just a lot of big careers that kind of got their jump start from this month, and... It's just fun to look at. Like comedy is also doing very well at the box office. A month before we have Dumb and Dumber, and then 
I'm sorry, that was in December. And but in March, we also have Tommy Boy. So just some pretty big oh, wow, comedies. Yeah. We have Billy Madison typecasting uh, M. Sandler into that same role for what, how many years they had to do that. And then you can argue heavyweights. That's helped launch Ben Stiller's career. Yeah. And Joel Apatow co-writes heavyweights. So, you know, huge career started now. He's one of the biggest names still in comedy. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of funny. The director of that movie, uh, he went to do Little Nicky and Mr. Deeds. So not quite the career compared to Mr. Apatow. (laughs) I mean, Stillers basically does. It's just like a proto Globo Jim. That's like it's the almost the same character. It's the same character. Yeah, it's yeah. it's excellent though. It's so yeah, good. It is very well done. <laughs> I was, was going to make the exact same point. Stiller do, does very very much in a lot of his other movies, but this does seem like a a little bit of a setup for uh, Dodgeball, or maybe Dodgeball is going for the well later, going to the well later. Did you guys watch Heavyweights as a kid? Because this was this was like around this time. I loved all like the Ken kid ensemble movies. You know, we have our Mighty Ducks two, Little Giants came out. The year before yep. as well big green comes out this year so this was just like perfect like being a little kid like yes put him on all the sports movie now we have a fat cap movie. Okay. <laughs> this was i would have seen a lot of these yeah around this time i would have seen heavyweights mighty ducks which is basically like half the cast anyway are, are in the same mm-hmm. film and cool runnings like obviously not children oh, in cool. a oh yeah runnings was a big a big one for around this period there's just something delightfully 90s about heavyweights as well it really is like you're saying earlier there's they don't make films like this anymore i assume largely because they don't think it makes money but yeah the the way it's styled and the way it's shot and the way it runs is just totally different to nowadays and speaking even to pc culture too like the disney wouldn't touch going to a fat camp type of movie like like yeah. they're very open with just shaming fat people in this movie, which is oh, oh, very yeah. hard to watch. <laughs> yeah. Like very hard to go back to at times. Yeah, uh, I mean the dad Jeffrey Jeffrey Tambor is like not a nice dad. <laughs> no, <laughs> to be perfectly honest in it. What gets me is so you you can talk about it maybe being a bit of a taboo subject that we don't touch, but you're supposed to at the end of the movie get this resolution, you know, this like it's okay and you know a nice message to these fat kids. But they just get fat shamed some more by the good guys. <laughs> They're just like, <laughs> yeah, guys, it starts to take time to take responsibility. I know I'm not as much of a dick as that camp counselor, but it is your fault you're fat. So if you could stop being fat, that would be that would be amazing. I was expecting yeah. this, you know, uplifting moment of just be you, do what makes you happy. And they're like, nope, just stop being fat, okay? Look, Please. man, <laughs> go-kart races bring everybody together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially when you steal a speedboat engine and put it on the, on the go-kart. <laughs> oh, I almost you, forgot about that. Part. I'm, uh, like, I mean, I, I, I went to the trouble of rewatching this, so a lot of this is fresh in my brain. Like, The plot is so badly put together that like Ben Stiller's character is off and there's still like 25 minutes left in the film. I'm like, what? He, he's the evil guy. What What's supposed to... Oh, they have to do the relay race. Right, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, it's bizarre, but I, I agree with Gus. It's just so perfectly nostalgically 90s. It's enjoyable. Right, um, and it's, your, it's just your typical camp turn on the counselor type movies. It's a very, yeah. very formulaic story, but it, it still works well just because you have some awesome kid actors. And, and speaking of jump-starting careers, I mean, Keenan Thomas. Yes. yes oh, yeah. He was just, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mighty Ducks 2 was his first film, actually, and he had just started all that as well. And he he's is still going strong. <laughs> it's quite clear he can act in this. Like, yes, some, yeah. certain of the kids are just gulfs 
like away from how good he is. Yeah, um, one of them went to high school with my brother. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, the kid in the Falcon shirt. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, with the terrible yeah. haircut. Wow, yeah. Yeah, it was great. I was friends with him on MySpace a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, the, oh, another man. 90s thing. Man, the haircuts are atrocious. Oh, it, it was great. Even talking about Adam Sandler's career getting just like a, a jump start. I mean, he also had minor roles in like Coneheads, Airheads. Uh, but this was kind of his uh, first leading role. But this movie is just so ubiquitous with my school and quoting this damn movie. And same. It's probably one of his better ones as his like stupid character, you know, typical character that he always plays in. I mean, I, I'm much more of a happy Gilmore person, but, you know, as far as like a, a dumb Adam Sadler movie, it's still better than like all the rest of his films that he did, really. I just I can't take it when the whole thing is him being dumb. When, when he has, like, outbursts of being a bit stupid or he has rants, that's funny. And then you can, like, change the tone of the movie up and down and control people, uh, control people's emotional response to it. But when he's just that stupid the whole time, and I don't get why we're supposed to like him at all. But as much as I'm not the biggest fan of this, I recognize it's his humor and it's what he's cashed in on. And the best, one of the best comedy scenes of all time, isn't it? The, the bit at the end where he's giving the speech and and he goes through everything and <laughs> and afterwards he's like that the the guy's like that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard yeah everyone no, in this room <laughs> is now stupid is now dumber yeah, for no, having like, heard like, it. there's a lot of quotes that still like they're, they're <laughs> I mean even the goo meme is still very present in pop culture mm. today so that yeah, this movie yeah. is still it still has an impact which is I, I think a redeeming quality is is just like the awesome cast it has. Yes, uh, Chris Farley's still alive, so he's in it. He's great. Norm Macdonald also plays just like a, a, his friend. He's just a complete jerk in the movie. It's just there, there's a lot of great secondary characters. Even though I think Bridget she plays in Mortal Kombat later in the year, but this was probably her, oh, wow. her biggest role to date. I didn't know that was the same actress. That's amazing. Yeah, man, she's uh, Sonya Blade. You didn't know that? Well, no, I did not. That is absolutely amazing. Double, double threat now for Dave going forward. Yeah. <laughs> is is Buscemi in this one actually? Yeah, he is. He's yeah. the um, he's like the high school kid that used to like Adam Sandler used to pick on, and then he comes like near the end of the movie and he shoots Eric in the in the butt. And he's like, man, yeah. I'm glad I called that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now I remember. Yeah, I I always found that bizarre. Like. One thing is, I, I saw all these movies a bit later because I didn't see these movies. I was a bit young to see these in uh, in theater, but uh, when RTE, which is our main broadcasting channel over here, picked them up two, three years after the fact, I saw all the, these movies. And I always wondered why Buscemi had become so much more famous after that and why Buscemi was doing these like minor weird cameos <laughs> in comedians' movies. But it, it obviously, they actually kind of uh, became famous together, if that made sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think he was already starring in Coen Brothers movies at the time. Mm. Yeah. I think Barton Fink became out before this, and I know he was in that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it makes more sense. His trajectory of being in Adam Sandler films makes a lot more sense when you look at it in this year. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd be similar with Dave. Like, I, I definitely would have seen Happy Gilmore before Billy Madison, for sure. Yeah, same. same. Oh, no, I saw that's, him pretty much in order. Uh, that's my introduction to Adam Sandler, full stop, so... Yeah, I think it gets better. Happy Gilmore is still probably my pinnacle of Sandler, uh, Sandler movies. Uh, Wedding Singer is after this as well, right? And is yeah. also extremely. Oh yeah, good. Wedding Singer is probably the probably the best one. That one yeah. had a little bit more heart than most of the other ones. Yeah, yeah. When, when it wasn't just Adam being good at sport and getting the hot women, 
they they were a lot more enjoyable. But there's there's also a lot of like other fun movies that um, really shaped this decade. We mentioned Brady Bunch movie earlier. It's it's just, it just goes to show you that Hollywood, even back then, was really trying to cash in on nostalgia. Flintstones movie just come out. It done really good numbers. This movie didn't really do great numbers. I mean, forty six million is probably really good for the movie since it's. From what I looked at reviews, like it was very, very average and just very mediocre. I never saw it. I never will see it because I did not like the Brady Bunch. But I watched it in the cinema. I can definitely really? remember it. Really? Yeah. And I mean, even with my nine-year-old brain, like I can remember it being like, this is not very good. <laughs> and I still have that Marsha, Marsha, Marsha stuck in my head. Like that's that's the one thing that I can will always stay with me from that film. Like no matter what. Yeah. I, I remember seeing the previews a ton. That's marketing for you. I, I saw a little bit of it over here. It obviously wasn't that big here, but it still showed. And I never got why people watched it. I'm like, this is really boring. Even when I was young, I'm like, nothing's happening. I don't get it. But I don't know. Back back to old family values, I guess. Hollywood <laughs> dipping in nostalgia well. And it Put gets them in worse the 90s. from this point. Yeah, this doesn't really work. Yeah. No. Another huge movie to come out at the stage is uh, Shallow Grave. Huge as in it starts a relationship between Danny Boyle and Ewan McGregor. Probably one of my favorite actors of all time. Not going to lie. He looks like he has so much fun with all his movies, right? <laughs> yeah. He, particularly him younger. Is, he is just fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing him in ER. That was probably the first time I saw him. And he was just, it was one of my favorite ER episodes. He's so good in it. But then obviously, of course, Train Spotting comes a year or two after this, too. Yeah. Just oh, that's like no this year, I think. It's just that all the timelines all messed up because it's America versus Europe. And okay, sure. Because oh, yeah, this yeah. this came out in 1994 in in the UK. Okay. Oh. Well, yeah. the, well, we're sticking to U.S. standards yeah, here. This is the, the little known fact that you'll find. Like my my brother, like when I first realized this was my brother was away in America in 90, whatever year Independence Day comes out anyway. So that obviously would have come out Independence Day of that year that it came out. Uh, but mm-hmm. it didn't come out till in Ireland until six months later. So he was like, yeah, I've already seen this film. And you're like, but it hasn't come out yet. <laughs> doesn't make any Time sense. Time traveler. <laughs> Hogan style, yeah. <laughs> Mr. McGregor has a great, great fun in Bird's Prey, if you haven't seen that yet. Oh, uh, no, I actually haven't. But it's going back to Shallow Grade, though, this was a film I, I had no idea about till maybe I was in like film school because it was like, oh, Danny Boyle's an awesome director. And somebody was like, oh, you should check out Shallow Grave then. I'm like, I will. And it's a fantastic film. Somebody wrote a piece on 25yearslatersite.com about this movie, and it is a treasure to go back and watch of. It's, it's, it yeah. surely holds up still. Again, yeah, yeah I watched this recently. It, it totally holds up. It's on so many. I, I only ever knew about it because it's on so many, you know, movies you should see or like movies by famous directors you might know. But yeah, it's, it's great. And it's two, you know, once in a lifetime talents that have struck up a relationship after this. And I'm glad they did. It's it's basically just a play. It, yeah. it's, it's so basic, and there's very little going on. I'm assuming the budget was super low because of it was, but they, they did some very some very clever uses of cinematography, certain yeah. angles that they that they utilized, and the, the location's still great. Who rents those apartments? Because I'd love to have one. Uh, <laughs> like they're gigantic, and they have three bedrooms, and they have a separate room for the kitchen. And uh. my favorite trope, my favorite uh, any movie trope of all time. We're so poor in this big city with our mansion apartment. <laughs> the the fr- friends making a reference to it is my favorite. Thing. Yeah, um, we're getting it for free for my grandma. <laughs> you know, and like the massive apartment that has their names on the outside. 
bizarrely, which I thought was very strange. <laughs> yeah, as, as for some uh, lesser known films that didn't really catch on cult status, I would say is uh, I know Just Cause did pretty good at the uh, the box office, and I've never seen this movie. It's you know Sean Connery, Lawrence Fishburne, and I think the more interesting thing about this film is just the timeline that. Lawrence Fishburne was originally going to play the Jules character in Pulp Fiction, but he chose to do Bad Company because his agents suggested only taking leading roles. So this turned out to be a really down period of his career because of just lost potential to Samuel Jackson. And Tarantino mentioned this story on the podcast that Fishburne also lost the leading role for Die Hard 3 because of how good Jackson was in Pulp Fiction. But I mean, it all worked oh, out well. in the end. And yeah. Not, not this, surprised I hadn't heard of Just Cause. This, although apparently Sean Connery like wrestles an alligator or something. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, that's going to spike your interest, isn't it? You're like, wait, that couldn't have happened, right? <laughs> that, that's all they had to say when they were, don't advertise the movie at all. Just on the radio goes, so watch, come watch Sean Connery wrestle an alligator. Everyone would have to watch. They would have done millions, billions of dollars. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I only knew about this movie and I haven't seen it at all just because of this exact conversations other people have. You know, imagine what, Happens with Orange Fishburne's uh, career if he ends up taking a gamble on Pulp Fiction. Easy with hindsight, but it was still a big gamble at that stage. I don't know if you're referencing the same interview I've, I've listened to, which is the one on The Ringer, is it, Connor? Uh, I have no idea where Okay, well, well, there was a recent one on The Ringer anyway, where they were talking to Tarantino, and like it is, he, it's Tarantino says, he's like, yeah, I mean, he wasn't wrong to say no, because if he takes that supporting actor role, then there's a good chance that they he, he stops being considered for leads and he's like i'm a lead i want to be a lead so he has to do it so he's like i, I don't blame him you got to do what you got to do i mean might have been the right call but if he wants to get paid more and he wants to get proper roles he can't just keep taking support and actor stuff yeah it, it was the same clip and it yeah it all ends up working out he gets to be in the matrix and hey all all is, all is well <laughs> that's very true i do i do absolutely still love Lawrence fishburne Oh, he's uh, great. I mean, he was in Searching for Bobby Fischer. I, I do remember that. I did not know he was in Pee-wee's Playhouse. That blew my he? mind. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That'll be intimidating, man. He is, he is an intimidating voice. But he looks so different because I'm pretty sure he's wearing a wig or something. So he doesn't look intimidating oh, at all. I'm, yeah. I'm literally going to Google this as we talk. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I, I love Pee-wee's Playhouse so much as a kid. I mean, the last thing I can really remember watching him in was that the awful remake of Predator, and he's the really? crazy yeah. man on the planet. Oh, oh my god, Cowboy yeah, Curtis! He, there he is, like Jimmy Curls or whatever they're called. Yeah, it's, like it's Curl wild. Jerry Curls, Jerry <laughs> Curls, oh, Jerry, Cur- Jerry Curl Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> just even the images are look very really funny. Yeah, speaking of movies that have got a cult following, actually, have you, either of you guys seen The Quick and the Dead? I have not seen this. I remember seeing the trailer a ton. I remember Gene Hackman saying, you ever kill anybody? I had like a Simpsons tape, like a VHS tape with a bunch of Simpsons episodes on it. Yeah. And you would try to like, you know, stop it for the commercials. And there's one episode on there like that. That trailer like would I would always catch that line before I, I hit stop. So that that movie was always like edged in my brain just because of that one one piece of dialogue, but I've never seen it. Watching the full trailer, it does look good. I mean, it has a good cast and everything. Yeah, the the movie is a lot better than the reviews would have you think. I think it's a cult classic. I think they do a lot of things way before their time. This is Sharon Stone when she's nearly at her peak, and they bank on her as the moneymaker, but she's not sexualized in the movie at all. She's just like a vengeful woman, and the plot kind of revolves around her. Gene Hackman 
is his hammy acting perfection. He is just loving being the bad guy. And he's not like a slimy bad guy. He's a very good shooter. It's all about a quick shooting tournament. So he gets to be this dominating presence on screen. It's fantastic. But when they got Sharon Stone involved, there's a very cool little story uh, around it that not enough people to talk about. She basically benefits the careers of the majority of people in this movie that aren't already famous at the time massively. So she signs on and insists that they hire Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi at the time had only done like Army of the Dead and a couple of things like that that you know him for and had failed. Like they had hired him for bigger movies and none of them had made enough money. And he was seen as a bit of a failure and she wanted him. She, She was like, he's so good in Army of Darkness. That's exactly what we want as a director. Russell Crowe wanted to be like one of the lackeys. And she was like, no, he should go for the main. Look at him. He has star written all over him. We need Russell Crowe as our uh, male lead. And he gets the male lead and has a very young Leonardo DiCaprio. Now he's already been in some really good movies. And I think he already has his, um, his Oscar nomination for Gilbert Grape at this stage. Mm-hmm. I think that's about the timeline, but the studio's like, oh, I don't know. They like had a couple other famous actors lined up for this. And she's like, well, if you don't know, I'm just going to pay his salary. And, he, and we're just going to use them until you guys make up your mind. And that was, uh, she just dragged this whole movie together and it, it did okay. It, it wasn't like a complete bomb. It made enough money back, but yeah, very 50, 50 reviews, people not liking a lot of reviewers going, well, it might be an homage to these old spaghetti Westerns, but Sharon Stone is never going to be any, um, she's not Clint Eastwood. She's not, um, Oh, who's that guy? The Simpsons make fun of all the time. Oh, Charles Bronson. Yeah, she's no Charles Bronson. I'm like, I'm pretty happy she's not Charles Bron- Bronson, to be perfect. I wish I always did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, this is like a really underrated movie. And I watched it when I was young and loved it because it's action packed. And Sam Raimi loves putting weird kind of spins and camera angles in his movies. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to check this one out at some point. Yeah. And it's just, it's actually just this really cool female protagonist in a, a spaghetti western, which is super rare cool well all right everybody we're just about out of time but before we sign off and call it a podcast each episode we share our hidden gem picks of the month it could be a film song album or even a book you know we, we we'll talk anything pop culture on this cast it just happened to be more film centric this month and it's gonna be a little bit more film centric next month because we'll be talking about the oscars banger year for oscars There's a lot of great films to talk about so looking forward to that so, hidden gem picks, gentlemen. Uh, who wants to go first? I, I think I already spilled my guts on mine. Watch The Quick and the Dead. It is worth your time. Real good Sam Raimi movie. Yes. Yeah, I also said mine. Shallow Grave, for sure. Holds up way better than you expected to for something that long ago and on such a budget. Okay, I'm going to go with something musical here. It's something that Laura Stewart uh, over on 25yearslatersite.com wrote about this album. I had never heard of this album until then. It's Tricky's debut solo album, Maxi Quay. Apparently, this is a UK album, so that's probably why I'd never heard of it. And I knew it sold well over there. I'm, so maybe it just didn't translate to the States at all. I'm not sure. Yeah, like, I, I wonder, like, I know you, mar- you referenced earlier uh, The Prodigy and Underworld. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder how much of that scene would have really transported across the US because like comparatively speaking, say when you when you talk about Stone Table Pilots, like Stone Table Pilots wouldn't have had nearly as much of a push in the UK in reverse. 
So sure, we wouldn't have got sure. like a lot of the grungy stuff until later. Yeah, um, no, the same. Yeah, I don't think Underworld and Prodigy is probably more 96, 97. Yeah. And probably 98. So yeah, I, th- I think it's we're just about starting to get some of this stuff. Because like the obviously the train spotting soundtrack would have a big influence on that, but like that yeah. is great soundtrack. Early nineties music to me. I, I didn't get a lot of the grunge stuff until later, until really until after Cobain died, to be fair. But it's way more underworld, massive attack, prodigy, all that kind of stuff. And like lots of there's lots of hard house dance electro techno stuff yeah th- this album is very it's very trip hop so it's very yeah. uh, massive attack very theory corporation and mm. i've listened to the album maybe once or twice now and it is fantastic so if you if you're a fan of that genre of music check this album out i had never heard of it before i listened to a lot of music podcasts about this era too never heard of it so i'm really glad i found this I, this definitely fits the hidden gem criteria All right, well, that's going to do it for the first episode of 25 Years Later, the Obsession Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed, where you can also download the monthly film podcast called The Criterion Collectors with Tim Rosenberger. It's a fantastic podcast. I'd also like to thank all my guests, Dave and Gus. Always a pleasure talking to you guys. And Andrew, who had to leave early, wish he got to stick around longer, but... I have a feeling he will be a guest on a future show. So I'd like to thank everybody for listening, and we will see you next time when we'll talk all about the Oscars from March 1995.